Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Everybody and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. And today on the Coffeehouse, we're getting back in the swing of things with a composer biography. This time, we'll be looking into the life of Giovanni Bottasini and his contributions to the repertoire of the double bass. Bottasini was born in Crema, Lombardy in 1821. At the time, Crema was part of the Austrian Empire. Bottasini's father was somewhat of a composer and also played the clarinet. Bottasini himself began learning music through playing the violin and taking lessons with a local teacher. He also participated in local choirs and played the timpani in the orchestra of a small theater company. By age 14, Bottasini knew he wanted to continue pursuing music, and so he sought a position in the Milan Conservatory. However, his family was only of middle class, and they didn't have the funds to send him unless he were to win a scholarship. And this should be easy for an ambitious young person who started learning the violin so early, right? Well, the catch was that the conservatory wasn't looking for violinists. They had two scholarships available, one for bassoon and one for bass. Bottasini decided to teach himself the bass, and in the span of just a few months, he had prepared a successful audition and was awarded the scholarship. While at the conservatory, Bottasini continued to study bass and also studied composition. He spent a total of four years there and graduated at the age of 18. A fellow friend from the conservatory, Carlo Piatte, who was a cellist, once described Bottasini's musical genius, that after three years of being at the conservatory, Bottasini never played any better, he only gained experience. But that doesn't mean he was a poor performer. On the contrary, at his graduation, he was awarded a prize for his skills. Following his life at school, Bottasini began going on world concert tours. Of course, being a touring-based soloist was a rare thing, and due to his popularity, he was dubbed, quote, the Paganini of the bass. And much like Paganini, he often composed works for himself to play. Unfortunately, due to the nature of this composition and touring lifestyle, many of Bottasini's great bass works were never published and have been lost. However, those we do have have become staples of the solo bassist world. Bottasini also took part in his fair share of concert orchestras and opera orchestras. At this time, Verde was actively churning out his bel canto Italian operas. In one such production, he heard Bottasini's playing and commended him, and this interaction also started a lifelong friendship between the two. In addition to playing, Bottasini also found himself in front of the orchestra as a conductor. He seemed drawn to the opera stage once again for these types of posts. Anecdotally, it is said that during the opera intermissions, Bottasini would get out his bass and sit on the side of the stage and play fantasies based on the arias of the opera, much to the delight of the crowds. By this point, Bottasini was becoming a household name. In one instance, when he was touring in London, A jeweler apparently made a lapel pin with his likeness and raked in thousands of dollars. And Bottasini didn't just stick to the normal European tour destinations. 
He brought the world the Italian opera and the solo bass to far-reaching places such as Mexico City, New Orleans, Havana, and Cairo. Near the end of his life, Botticini found himself in a bit of financial struggle. His friend Verdi came to his rescue by nominating him for the prestigious position of the director of Parma Conservatory in 1889. Both Botticini and the conservatory were very pleased and excited about this arrangement. As director, Botticini was put in charge of the popular concert series and also appeared in a number of chamber performances. In one such instance, he was applying resin to his bow and the resin block broke into pieces. Botticini offhandedly commented, quote, There goes the resin. Who knows? I may soon have to go too. And almost as a premonition, he did go soon. He caught a fever the following day due to a rainstorm he encountered while traveling and died a few days later of liver failure at the age of 68. Now, before we dive into our focus piece today, let's talk a little about what makes a bass unique. It's the largest and lowest of the string family and goes by a few different names. The double bass, contrabass, string bass, bass fiddle, or the most fun, the bull fiddle. <laughs> and the bass can come in a few sizes. There's the standard size that is approximately six feet tall, and it can also come in a smaller three-quarter size. There are also variations just slightly bigger than cellos, and these are primarily used in very small chamber settings. You're likely most familiar with the large upright bass as seen in orchestral bass sections. Basses can also have a few different number of strings. Botticini himself is said to have played on only three strings and adjusted his tuning appropriately to reach all notes. However, modern basses often have four or even five strings. Some basses also have a fancy contraption on the neck that, through the ingenious use of levers, elongates one of the strings, thus allowing the player to play even lower notes. The bass was not really widely used in compositions until the late classical period, with Beethoven really being one of the first composers to widely use the instrument in his compositions. So thank goodness for composers such as Botticini who knew the bass well and were able to contribute such wonderful works to the canon. Now let's take a look at one of those works, the Concerto for Double Bass, number two. The piece was written in 1845, about six years after Botticini left the conservatory. He really indulged himself and his listeners with the popular bel canto style of the Italian opera at the time. This means there are catchy and singable melodies. However, as a virtuoso, Botticini had to also include extreme technical passages and flourishes that serve to dazzle and impress. And we'll go through each of the work's three movements and highlight the melodic and technical writing and allow ourselves to be amazed at how impressive the bass can be. Of course, we will start with movement one. This movement starts out with a very short orchestral introduction, quickly followed by the entrance of the bass. At 
first listen, if someone didn't know that this was a bass concerto, they may mistake it for a cello just due to the range Battistini starts the passage in. But that is the magic of the bass. Even though it is so large in order to play low notes, with a little help from physics, it is quite easy to extend the range right in line with the higher members of the string family. The melody that Bottasini starts out with is quite simple. It begins on the fifth, with a small scale that moves past tonic all the way up to the minor third, with a simple dotted eighth rhythm in a downward arpeggio. This simple motif is easy enough to modulate and alter, as heard here, where now it's in a major key, going into the ending of a phrase. Or here, where Bottasini puts it into a classic sequence. And in an effort to showcase the extreme range of the bass, Bottasini writes this elaborate passage that goes from very high to very low. Bottasini also wants to showcase the player's ability to change styles. In this section, we hear the performer coming out of a lyrical and smooth passage, jumping right into a much more marked and separated section. This is all the same sort of techniques we hear from higher pitched instruments, but so rarely get showcased in such a large and ungainly double bass. The highlight of the first movement is probably the cadenza. Much like we've heard in solo violin works in the past, the bass is able to perform impressive double stops, essentially two notes played together on different strings. And also like a violinist, a bassist can play seemingly impossibly high notes thanks to the use of harmonics, or essentially artificially making the string's node higher than it actually is. Could you believe the bass could make this high of a note? I can now, Allison! And now for movement two. As is tradition in standard concertos, the second movement is a slow adagio, in contrast to the upbeat first and third movements. This is the perfect opportunity for the bassist to show off their lyrical and smooth playing. And the point of a slower expressive movement is to show how much emotion you can milk out of any given passage. The lugubrious nature of the low bass notes makes this a piece of cake. And then we're back in fast mode for the third movement. 
After another short string introduction, the bass comes in with a melody that is similar but different from the first movement. Rather than a scale upward, this melody features more repeated notes. However, the dotted rhythm is still present, which helps tie the two melodies together. The third movement also features much longer lines for the bassist. The phrases tend to flow into each other, thus making the task of playing more non-stopped. This movement also features a cadenza, and the performer is really able to show that in spite of the strings being so large and far apart, they are able to fly around the notes with the greatest of ease. And though we mentioned harmonics already in the first movement, here we get a little melody played on them rather than just a single note. If you weren't listening closely, it sounds just like a violin. And Bottasini has fun with the ending. He transforms the melody into a march-like jaunt. You can almost imagine a crowd clapping along to the backbeats. We end with a flourish. And on that note, we hope you've enjoyed this look at Bottasini and his virtuosic bass concerto. And if you did, please go ahead and drop us a follow on Spotify if that's where you're listening and a review on iTunes or Google Play. It really helps us out. And go ahead and share us with a like-minded bassist friend or colleague <laughs> or bass-inclined. Thank you very much for listening today. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The Concerto for Double Bass Number no. 2 was performed by the University of Chicago Orchestra with Edgar Meyer conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find The Coffeehouse on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. <laughs>